We went from a super philosophical opening with Alien Covenant to a badass slow burn with Once Upon a Time in the West. And now we transition into one of the best emotional opening sequences in cinematic history, at least in my opinion. This is Pixar's Up. Welcome to season two of the Impactful Writing Podcast. This is episode three of our seven part series based on great movie openings. And today we're talking about Pixar's Up. I'm Jay Shear, and Caleb Monroe is still traveling today, although I've had to reschedule this podcast several times because we had technical difficulties and we had scheduling, con we had all the things that could possibly happen to a podcast. We had those things. So maybe Caleb Monroe is actually available right now, but he's not on the show with me because we have a very special guest and I'll introduce him in just a moment. The Impactful Writing Podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society and is part of the Story Geeks Network and the Art of Storytelling YouTube channel. If you missed last week's show on the opening scene of Once Upon a Time in the West, you can watch that on our YouTube channel or check us out, check it out on the Story Geeks podcast feed. This show will be available on the Story Geeks podcast feed starting August 9th. Let's welcome today's guest. Joining me on today's show, comic book editor, Chris Rosa. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me, Jay. It's a great pleasure to be on. Yeah, of course. And now, uh, Caleb Monroe said that you and he did a podcast together. So tell me a little bit about that and then tell me a little bit about your background and uh, what you love about comic books and storytelling in general. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that, he, that Caleb uh, would lead off with uh, our, our, our tales in the, in the, in the uh, hot take octagon there that was the, <laughs> the milk cast. Uh, yeah, Caleb and uh, Caleb and I we met we, we worked together at the now dearly departed Meltdown Comics back mm -hmm. in the late aughts, and we were you know, it was a, a tight knit group there, and it's you know both customers and uh, uh, staff, everybody, and now all these years later, it's been it's been it's really lovely always to see people that um, came through that store one way or another are now going on blossoming and doing amazing things um, throughout the entire entertainment industry. And Caleb and I, you know, um, you know love each other dearly, but we, um, we definitely um, uh, are very different people and take very <laughs> different positions on, on many a thing, many a topic. And we would sometimes, you know, talk as as, as people do, as, as one does. We would do, you know, we would talk these out, and, and it happened to be in a in a public forum, and this became um, somewhat popular, somewhat entertaining for people to, you know, especially on Wednesday nights when people are coming in to pick up their books, to hear us, um, you know, have our 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 um, our Siskel and Ebert meets Statler and Waldorf um, debates <laughs> about, you know, um, about uh, what uh, what comics to come out this week. And we just figured at some point, it's okay. There's there's literally an audience for us <laughs> for us um, debating and and uh, talking about uh, talking about stories all the time. So why don't we just uh, you know make it official? And so um, with the assistance of the shop, we did a podcast. We did 75 episodes, and it was Caleb, myself, our friend um, Aaron Brewer was our producer, and the great Sam Humphreys, who you may know from his many many uh, comics writing duties, including Harley Quinn and Sacrifice and a million other comics across multiple publishers was, was, was our third man in there. And it was, it was great fun. And it was, uh, to, you know, as you talked about, you know, sort of the idea of what, uh, how important story is to people. And I think mm. 
that was always the joy of it in that for us, our, our disagreements were never, it was, it was never a work to use the pro wrestling parlance. Mm. It was, you know, people who cared very deeply about storytelling and how stories are told and, and both the form and the content, what this means to, to us. Mm. And that's really what we were, that's really what our discussions were about. They were, they were, I think it's very apt considering um, the subject matter today. It's about, you know, how do you express these sort of, you know, these ideas and these feelings and just, you know, how we live our lives and how do you express that in a way that, that connects with, with, with an audience, you know? And so I think that's why, that's why our, our, our conversations, while you know, sometimes they'll definitely get um get a little get a little animated, get a little spicy. There were always there's always that core understanding that we we may differ, we may diverge on how to get to wherever we want to get to, but we we all we both love this very 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 much, and that was always palpable. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Now now because you guys had differences of opinion, do you remember what was the most contentious? disagreement you had about storytelling this is what i'm very curious about this because i talk to, to caleb all the time now about storytelling and i'm curious as to where your interests diverged <laughs> well i guess i'll go and uh pardon uh you know pun intended here i'll go inside out with that question <laughs> um, the, 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 the two things for this day that we are lockstep in agreement on um are one the comic book scalp by Jason Aaron Armguera and the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh. We both love both of those uh, as much as something could as much as someone could love a piece of art. <laughs> Everything else <laughs> you know um, I think our, our our some of our I think thinking back our biggest disagreements back in the day um when we were still at the shop was um that run of like cuz I I worked in Meltdown from 20 I was there almost just under five years i was there like early 2007 till like the end of end of 2011 okay and so that this coincided with the rise of mark miller mm, as like yes the, becoming like the guy in in direct market comic books and to put it mildly i am not a fan <laughs> i have never been a fan that's just, hilarious just saying his name i felt i seriously like i'm glad this isn't i'm i'm this is one case I'm glad that we had the technical difficulties because you don't have to see my head twitching. Like, like I'm like one of the scanners people, like my, you know, my, my head's about to, I'm about to become literally the nuclear bomb emoji right now. Um, and, and, uh, Caleb was quite fond of, of that run of like his peak of like, um, kick ass wanted all those, um, those, that first wave of Miller world books, they did an image. And yeah, I, uh, and the, the ultimates, et cetera, me, not so much. Um, so I remember it was that. And I remember a, 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 a Wednesday night. A, uh, it was the night of the last issue of the Batman RIP arc that Grant Morrison um, was doing on his monthly Batman arc. Mm. And I remember just being like, you know, and I'm, I definitely like, I run hot and cold with Grant Morrison. I love some of the stuff I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. 
like I loved his JLA run. I loved um, St. Swithin's Day. There's a lot of the stuff that I like, and there's some stuff, other stuff that I'm like, yeah, not, not as much, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, or, as I know, Caleb um, was a huge Morrison fan at the time, and I just remember us, like, that was the one where I remember, like, that was the one where we both realized in the middle of our debate, we turned around and realized people were, like, hanging on our every word as we're just, like, going back and forth, you know, so just swinging <laughs> verbal haymakers at each other at the counter, you know. That yeah. was the one where we realized, okay, there's, there's, there's something here. There's something going on. That's hilarious. Um, I will say that I am team Chris on most of Mark Miller's stuff. There's, there's, uh, I was really shocked because, um, I'm, I haven't read it. I won't say that I've read a ton of his stuff, but I have watched almost mm -hmm. all of the ad adaptations that have been either filmed or gotcha. put on TV. And right. he has a sensibility about him that, um, he's connecting to some catharsis and that catharsis I do not understand. And I'm like, this is not cathartic to me. This is like, it doesn't mm -hmm. work. It doesn't work for, uh, attribution to my worldview as to these things being of value. Um, and I remember, uh, I did watch the latest release of his that was converted into a TV thing with Jupiter's legacy. And I was actually kind right. of shocked that it was Mark Miller because I actually very much enjoyed what they were doing with that series. Um, okay. I did not find it like, I didn't really find it a problem, uh, with, with the catharsis that I was saying earlier. Like he has, he has a, um, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, he did the, um, old man Logan, right? The first one. He wrote that, yes. yes. Yeah. Stephen Zivin did Yes, he wrote that. Yes. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, really quick for that book, because that book basically, um, I, th I thought the, so again, I, what I love about Mark Miller is I love his setups. I love his environments. I love his, mm -hmm. his leanings in terms of what characters he has running up against other characters. But then there's this piece of it where it's just like, it's, it just felt to me, again, spoiler alert, but like as, as that, as Logan's journey like comes to an end at the first, um, the end of the first, uh, trade. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm not interested in someone just wreaking havoc on a bunch of jerk versions of the Hulk. Like I just, that's like, okay, that's fine. Right. I mean, it's fine. It's like, okay. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, but it just felt like there was something that there was supposed to be cathartic there that I was not attributing catharsis to. And so it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, I don't understand. Like, this just seems like gratuitous violence for no reason. It's not like, you know, like J George R. R. Martin has gratuitous violence, but it's to the point of saying, like, isn't violence horrible, right? Like, um, right. and this just felt like it was glorification of this, of this thing that I did not understand. So uh, I, 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 I'm probably Team Chris on a lot of Mark Miller stuff, but I did enjoy <laughs> Jupiter's Legacy. I did enjoy that. I did think that that was actually pretty good, and I, and I was going in with pretty low expectations. So, um, okay, uh, that's interesting. You know, I. I, not to jump ahead here, but I think the stuff that you the the the, the themes and and the you know the, the things you picked up on while reading um, the old man Logan comic I think are very apt to and maybe it's something to put a pin on and come back to later yeah to what works in up <sighs> versus yeah. what doesn't work in um, in old man Logan and I will say this um, and you know, I have not watched um, any of of um, Jupiter's Legacy, and I, I haven't watched. I, I didn't see Wanted in the theaters. I'm trying to think. I don't think I saw the first Kick Ass. I think that's the only Miller 
original thing that I've seen um, the the a filmed ver- adaptation of. Okay. Okay. Because um, I I I'm allergic to them. I, I it's like <laughs> I'm the same way I'm allergic. To, I'm allergic to fish. You don't you won't find me at the sea at the seafood restaurant. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. You know, I'm 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 old enough now. Like, hey, I I, I you know I can avoid. I can avoid I can avoid the pothole if I if I've got a little you know time to see. Um, but I do think, and I will say this, I will say to Miller's credit, especially during his peak, that late aughts, you know, most of the like early mid to uh, last decade, when he was just could not miss. Every book mm. that would come out mm. would be number one on the charts, selling six figures. You know, just he was is that he has at his best, he has a a just innate understanding of story structure mm. of, of for a first issue he can he can in a in a first issue even in books again like i don't like like the, like the civil war comic mm. or his kick-ass these other things he can explain he can set up this you know the stakes you know and and he he under he, he can he can he does a fantastic job of explaining who the characters are laying out the characters very efficiently and making clear that there are heavy stakes, he- mm. heavy stakes with real consequences mm. if the hero fails. Mm. Yeah, and awesome. I think you know whether whether and the idea of like you know when we think about when we're going on these journeys with someone, you know, and I think what he there's a certain nihilism to it, and I think that's what you picked up on in in Old Man Logan. Sure, but yeah. I think what I, I think what people would again converse with people can relate to is the idea of like, oh man, if this character fails, they are screwed. Like there <laughs> sure, is sure. something hanging over them that if they don't win, like it's almost you're reading to see them avoid you know, to see if they can avoid this inevitable you know this oncoming freight train rather than seeing them succeed. Mm. And I think of a book like you know like the first kick-ass and i think that you know miller again you think of wanted right um wanted and kick-ass i think are very similar all well again it's like regular people that realize they have some aptitude for fighting or for like being in this super in this like heightened superhero world right so it's like it's this weird funhouse mirror of what you love about something like the classic peter parker story or miles morales in in the spider-verse right like right someone reaching a calling Versus someone realizing, oh, I have power and I can wield it. Right. Versus like, think of like the key scene at the end of Spider-Verse, right? Where he's, you know, Miles has sort of come to this realization of, 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 of finding himself and he, he's able to let go, right? He's, you know, the, he's, he can't control his, his uh, spider, like sticking his powers, but he jumps off that, you know, what's the big moment there? It's not beating up the kingpin. Or or some other like offensive movement. It's him letting go. Mm. It's him jumping off of that skyscraper, and the music hits. Which again, the use of music there, which uh, will tie back to to an up. It's mm. him letting go. Mm. And then what happens? That glass that was stuck with him the whole freaking movie. Now all of a sudden, it's just it's floating in the distance, mm. and he's just floating in space, and, and and he's free, and he's made that evolution. Mm. Whereas in something like, you know. Famously, again, I didn't see the wanted movie, but the the ending of the comic, uh, spoiler warning for a 15 year old comic now, but yeah. <laughs> is the <laughs> right. protagonist breaking the fourth wall and making these um, and tossing the reader. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, Ian, uh, this is a family show here. I'll, I'll, I'll come for a second. So I won't repeat what the character says, <laughs> but the character, in a very vile and vulgar way, taunts you. Right. The Actually, the movie does the same thing. Actually, now that you say that, I remember the movie does the exact same thing. Okay. And in Kick Ass, it's it's this it's it's you know I think it you know it's funny I've been I've I've been watching I was just watching I didn't get a chance to finish yet but I was watch I started watching the um, the Woodstock '99 documentary on mm. HBO on HBO Max you know which is all you know which of course is all about how like that thing turned into a, a nightmare with the rioting and the, this endemic um, sexual assault just it's awful just 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 you know you know. Just, it, it it was just a, a, a catastrophe. Mm. And one thing that's very it's very clear in, in the, like about a, a half hour or so I watched the documentary is the idea of like people these these people who just felt like this event this is not going to be some flower power hey we're all then you know here comes the sun it's all right no it's going to be this like we're going to use this as an outlet for this rage that we have that isn't necessarily focused on any one person or thing. It's, it's like, what do you got? Right. You know? And right. that was what this stage was. And in a book like kick-ass where the, the Dave, the, the, the kick-ass, right. It's like, he starts being, he starts, he becomes this, um, this vigilante. And at the end of the book, there's no, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not about necessarily, beating a specific person or whatever it's just this outlet for this rage and of course at the end of the story spoiler again for a book that came out in 2007 but he finds out basically he gets it's it's a weird inversion of wanted where this time now it's a a character and it's it's a a, a a one of his classmates they had a crush on ends up taunting him um uh, by showing him a video of her being involved if you know what i mean with with someone else right and you're looking at this and you're like okay so this idea of like this person is just it's like why would you end a story like that like what are you trying to get across <laughs> right, what, how right. does this like what what is this journey when you realize okay it's just and there isn't enough self-awareness of like this is a story about a miserable miserable like the best Punisher stories are the ones that realize this person is a broken man. Yes. And he's just miserable, miserable person. And he by no means is someone that we should um, support or co-sign, even if he ends up killing some whatever mob boss or whatever, you know, serial killer, whatever bad person he ends up shooting. This guy is essentially a serial serial killer in his own right. 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 And not someone to, to, to support. And the idea, like this person, he's done all this violence. We've read, you know, eight issues of this person just breaking bones, and that the artwork there by John Romita, it so focuses on like, oh, look, look at this. He's using these metal bow staffs, or whatever, and breaking somebody's, you know, limbs, and it so focuses on the violence, and you feel like this. At the end of the day, that story, it's just about. It's not about breaking the cycle. It's just about. Um, accepting that you're in this, that you're just this stew mm. of, of hate and bile and there's no way out. Mm. And so what do I have? All I have is taking it out on whoever's in front of me. Mm. And to bring this back to old man Logan and, and to up, I think um, 
what makes Old Man Logan, I think what makes the movie Logan, which I'm not crazy about, I think that the second Wolverine movie, the, the, the Wolverine, the one in Japan, yes, is a better version of what Logan tries to do mm. than what Logan is. I know that's probably a nuclear, let's talk about nuclear bomb hot takes. Because <laughs> I think at the end of the day, um, what we're talking about here, especially with um, why I'm making these comparisons between Up and Old Man Logan, are is you know they both fit into it. Up is many things, and I think one of the things that one of the genres it fits into is the is the mentor movie, for lack of a better term. Mm. Right, and the idea of a character, you know, and what makes a really good mentor movie work, and I think. One of the, you know, again, I know there's so much to talk about with, with Up in particular, but the idea of of our protagonist who, you know, it's, it's a protagonist who for some reason, somehow, you know, Carl, you know, in, in Up, a protagonist who has lost their way, right? They, they've lost their, you know, the, their, the meaning, life's meaning has been lost for them. They had a purpose. And that's now gone. And then the the protege character is someone who's searching for that purpose but can't reach it yet for whatever reason. Mm. And that connection between the the mentor and the protege, it it heals both people. It heals both characters because you end up the mentor is is sort of you know finds what they've lost and gets confirmed. And, and, and at the end of the day, it, you know gets confirmed like my life had meaning and I was worthy and what I did was 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 had integrity and you and you and the mentor or the or the protege gets you know fine you know as opposed to you know these the nihilistic Mark Miller characters who have just decided you know screw it I'm just gonna you know um, you know like what nothing matters right mm. and, and you what the mentor does is keep that character on that path because usually mm. in these stories especially the ones that are really good it's like the the potential mentor and then the antagonist provide two paths if the if the if the protege stays on the path they're on they're going to go towards the, the the nihilistic dark they're going to uh, just despair you know i think the you know, integrity versus despair in a lot of ways feels like sort of the the sort of two poles mm. that are, that are the you know, two potential paths. So it's, does this character, like when we feel, you know, do we go down the path of, of despair and just like nothing matters. I, you know, I'm going to cut myself off from the world, no relationships or, or only using people, you know, get mine F you get mine. Or do you turn back towards the path of, of being, you know, part of the world, connecting with people, having you know valuing both your, yourself having that self-value that self-worth and you know and this and you know do you choose love or do you choose you know or, or do you choose the void mm. you know and i think that the, the the old man logan movie you know it it i think it does you get there by the end with um, when you when you realize how much Laura when when Laura uh, sort of reveals you you see when near the Laura starts to reveal how much this whole adventure is really meant to her, right? Yeah, you know, and how much Logan means to her, 
although it's really kind of you don't it's not built throughout the movie in my opinion versus in the second one with um yukio the bodyguard mm-hmm. um and how their relationship feels holistic and i think again to bring up back into it's like up is so smart about um using all the tools available and it's something maybe especially under the tools of animation mm-hmm. to constantly reinforce these themes throughout the movie so you get the idea that carl and russell that they're even if it seems like they're not, they might be, you know, going back and forth or bickering. You realize this is part of what, you know, again, the, the whole, you know, the whole story is about like the real adventure is like the building of the relationship. It's not about um, doing whatever wild, you know, whitewater rafting or, you know, like extreme events. It's about the day to day of like being there and spending the time with somebody. That's the adventure. And you're always aware of that in the film. And whereas, in the in Miller's comics, you don't have that at all. Mm. That's really good. That's that's first of all, it's a great segue into what we're about to talk about, which is fantastic. Uh, secondly, um, we just became best friends because I have people have historically been really upset with me because I've always said, as much as I love the movie Logan, it's really really good. It it shies away from being great because. It actually, it, it, this actually kind of proves the point you're trying to make is that when they say, they have to say that he has the adamantium sickness, right? Because they have to give him right. like this like dying element. But as soon as mm-hmm. they tell you that, and then they tell you that like that his heroic moment is going to save a bunch of kids and allow them to get away when in reality he's going to die anyways. It's like, well, only the biggest right. asshole in the world wouldn't save those kids if you're already going to die. Like, so, but then we, then we turn him into sort of this, this hero figure. So I think what you've, what you've landed on is something really important, which is um, he he's a hero figure for this for this young girl what's a bummer is i think that they almost go so nihilistic in that in that movie that they it's almost impossible to turn anybody into a hero so it almost doesn't make sense that you would see him as a hero um so anyways that's that's all fantastic love those thoughts we could get into a giant discussion about that before we jump into up i do want to give you a chance where can people like find out about you and about some of the work you've done and all that kind of good stuff (laughs) um well uh, I have you as, as as per my my I guess my my want. I have an exquisite sense of timing here because I am I have I have done a social media fast, so I am I am no longer on Twitter or any social media um, <laughs> uh, after the time. I will say that um, some of the books I've worked on, some of the books I've edited, um, uh, two um, original series that I'm really proud of. Um, Sparrowhawk and Lady Castle, both written by Delilah S. Dawson. Oh, um, cool. I edited, I co-edited um, uh, a book, um, Victor LeBall's Destroyer, which was is available as a graphic novel. And he's got a new series um, uh, out right now called Eve that um, I, I was involved in the development of. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Um, yeah, I, I worked on a lot of stuff with Clive Barker, like Clive Barker's Next Testament, the Hellraiser comics. Um, you know, there, you know, worked on, uh, if you're, if you're a fan of the Joss Whedon universe, uh, of, of the Whedon stuff, I, I worked on the Firefly, uh, most recent Firefly comics. We, uh, Delilah and I did a, a graphic novel called The Sting, which focuses on, um, the ladies of the ship going, um, 
pulling off a heist. Mm. I'm also did um, the first year of the original of the um, main series with Greg Pak, who you may know from World War Hulk fame you know, and many other awesome comics across Marvel and other companies. So, you know, and working on some new stuff for the future, can't really announce that yet. But um, but yeah, um, any of those comics, um, if you're in the, in the mood for, for a good time, um, they've got you covered. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, our latest, the latest novel that um, Nathan and I put out there, Nathan's my co-writer, um, is called Death of a Bounty Hunter. And it actually is very similar to Delilah S. Dawson's books that she wrote under the, um, the pseudonym Lila Bowen. Um, oh yes, the Wake of Ultra series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very much in that same genre, basically. Um, so very cool that you got a chance to work with her because, um, you know, in some in in some ways that helped inspire what we were doing. So um, very cool. Oh, that's very, awesome. Very cool. That's awesome, man. And and Delilah's the best. I you know I love her to death. Um, so yeah, I um, anything if it's you you. You just sold. You just sold me on the series right there. You just you just sold. Me. I'm, I'm <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that, and and good for you for going on a social media um, hiatus because I I think every day about shutting off all of my social media. <laughs> uh, but it is. I guess it is what it is. Try and have self control and don't go on there as much as you think you want to. Um, all right. So let's get into up now. Um, and I'm just gonna right. I'm gonna t- take a couple minutes to set this up. Uh, no pun intended. Um, and I'm actually calling this an o- opening sequence. And I do th- I've do. i done that on purpose because so far, the scenes, when we've talked about an opening scene, it's literally one scene. But uh, technically, this opening sequence in Up needs to be addressed as a, as a sequence because the real magic, in my opinion, comes when we hit the married life sequence. And it's still part of the setup. It's still part of the setup of the story about why we're going to send them off on this journey in the first place. So it works as an opening, but it's not necessarily an opening scene. So just putting that out there, I think it's one of the best sequences in cinematic history, um, which I know is a bold statement, but like, I just think that this sequence is, is amazing for multiple reasons that we'll get into. Um, if you remember our show uh, about alien covenant and even this last one about uh, once upon a time in the West, we did not have a script for either of those films. So, so, so actually, we had a script for Alien Covenant, but the opening scene of Alien Covenant, the movie, is not in the script. This is the first time that we've gotten to get to a movie where we can actually read the script as it was written. Um, now, granted, it might be a director's script. I don't know what version of the script it is, but I will include a link to it in the description. I have read it myself. It is fantastic, and it will go right in alignment with the movie. So that's that's great as a storyteller. I highly recommend you check those things out. Um, and so let's just jog everybody's memory here, Chris. I'm going to walk through with this opening sequence, what happens in this opening sequence, and then you and I will dive into it a little bit deeper with some questions. Um, up begins... The opening scene of Up actually begins with newsreel footage, which is always a great way to hook me because I love that kind of old school newsreel footage. Um, We see that Mm -hmm. Carl is watching the newsreel footage. And then on the way home from from that movie that he's watching, Carl meets Ellie. And then in a a sequence, um, there's there's like a sequence of scenes as uh, to why Carl might go on this epic journey because he and Ellie really appreciate these adventures that they want to go on together. So we go from that opening scene um, into their first encounter, if you will, 
into the married life sequence, which shows Carl and Ellie uh, growing older together. Um, and then we really capture this idea that Carl has promised to take Ellie on an adventure, but life keeps getting in the way of that adventure. Um, and then their lives are shown through a montage or a series of shots that shows them growing old together and never getting to go on that adventure. All of that takes up the first 14 pages of the script. It is essentially the opening sequence of a series of scenes that comprises the beginning of the film. And so with that in mind, we are talking about this entire opening sequence. We are going to talk about the married life part of it as well. So Chris, first question for you um, that we'll discuss together. What are the filmmakers setting up in this opening sequence of scenes? What are we supposed to take away from this long extended opening? It's interesting that I'm, I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, questions about the script. Because one thing I found really interesting um, hearing um, the filmmakers talk about this is that after they had, you know, sort of locked the script and went to the animation team to talk about, you know, storyboarding and blocking this out, that, you know, the, you know, the one of the head animators came, you know, to the team and said, you know, this would work so well with no dialogue. Because you see in the script, there's, you know, there's dialogue sequences. But, of course, the sequence has, you know, goes without dialogue. Mm. And I think that is, one, such a genius decision, such mm. a genius call. And I mm. think this scene does not, does not become the iconic uh, piece of filmmaking that it has become if there's dialogue over it. Mm. Yeah. And... I think what we're doing here is again we're talking about structure and like setting and um, setting up the um, themes for an audience is you are you are explaining to the audience what you know like why are we here right and we're here mm. about this relationship between you know not just Carl's relationship with Ellie but how Carl sort of feels about what that relationship was and where he is now mm. yeah. and the use of you know the use of of color throughout all of this mm. is just so you know well we go from the really bright hues to the more muted hues later on into the um the light sort of you know, like the, the saturation gets sucked out, you know, from that, from basically the hospital moment on and, and the lighting becomes a little more sterile. It's not as bright and vibrant. And the idea of what, you know, of what gives a life meaning, right? Mm -hmm. And that is repeated over and over again in the idea that you know that once you hear these music, you know, especially with the music, once you hear this music and once, you know, you're reminded that this story for Carl is about, did his life have meaning? Mm. You know, and like, was, you know, was he worthy of being chosen by Ellie? Because like, that's the last line of dialogue, right? Am I correct that like, when they're kids and she goes, I like you. Uh, and then we're into the montage. Yeah. It's like, yeah this entire movie is about him needing to prove that Ellie was right. 
and mm. him being worthy of that choice. Uh, mm. And the idea of we see the ups and, you know, we, you know, no pun intended here <laughs> of, you know, these moments of, you know, they're, they're building, they're building, they're going to, you know, they're plotting out having a family and then the, the hospital scene happens. They're planning on heading to South America, the tree, fall, you know, you know, the, the, they have the accident, the, the, the tree falls into the, uh, the roof and then they can't do that. And I think the idea of making, making the, you know, making the, these struggle, you know, these, these pain, these, you know, the, 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 you know, ups the vagaries of life so literal in that way. It's something that, again, I think it's what makes, I think it's, again, it's what, it's what makes Pixar so, so great at what they do. They understand the idea of like taking these core, um, the core, you know, conflicts of life that everyone deals with and expressing them in these very clear, simple ways. And that's mm-hmm. what, why they're so beloved. And I think, it always irks me in general when people try to diminish all ages storytelling or or stuff that's that's focused more towards younger people and kids. That somehow it has to be that somehow that equals dumbing down mm. or or lowest common denominator. It's like nothing. This nothing could be further than the truth. Yeah. And you know. And you know. Um, are you familiar with the um, the Pixar twenty two rules of storytelling? Yes. Yes, I am. Those are awesome. Okay. Okay. I only bring it up because I think, again, going to like, what are they trying to do with the sequence? You know, if you ever, if, and for those who aren't familiar, um, you can find it online. If you, if you Google like Pixar, like storytelling rules or Pixar 22 rules, basically it was one of the storyboard artists at Pixar can buy, you know, sort of like, like a list of like all the like key sort of um, story notes and like sort of ideas that have been passed around by like, you know, during creative sessions or, you know, you know, story breakdown sessions with the, with the core team there at Pixar. And the number one rule of this 20 of these 22 is you admire a character for trying more than for their success. Mm. And I think what makes, what makes that scene so evocative and makes like, I, you know, in watching this, I remember, seeing this movie in the theater and I don't see it all the Pixar I haven't seen all the Pixar movies I'm not someone who goes like every single one to the theaters but this one I saw in the theater and I remember just weeping yeah during yeah, exactly. this sequence and pretty much every single person in the damn theater was and when I rewatched this in preparation to be on the show today and I I within like less than within seconds <laughs> I was already <laughs> starting to like I, I felt myself like here we go here we go and I think you're setting, you know, we talked about earlier about like setting stakes and understanding like, you know, um, what, you know, it's, you're, you're priming the audience for the journey. In this case, a literal journey, but also more importantly, like the emotional, you're also doing the emotional journey. And that's, you know, and when they synthesize so well, as they do here, that's why it becomes so evocative. So the idea of like, you know, what is a life? What mm. makes a life worth living? Um, you know, what do you want to leave behind? You know, was your, were, did, did this person make a mistake in choosing you? Mm. You know, like, and the idea of like, no matter what, 
you see in that sequence, it sets the stage for this entire adventure, right? There are going to be rough parts. There are going to be rough patches, but you keep trying and you, and you, and you stick together. You stick with the people that you care about mm. because that's what it's really about. It's about whatever we're going to do. We do it together. Mm. I think, and um, not to bash on uh, writers that shall not rem- uh, that shall remain nameless from the rest of the show on out, but because <laughs> you notice once you know the, again the and with the way the musical cues with the with the the horns and the violin, like during those moments, the, the somber moments in in that sequence, you're immediately followed. By we're coming right by, by something rising, listening like, you know, they're in the hospital. There's no mm. color. It's just right. that hard, that sort of that that really like fluorescent lighting. Right. But then what happens? We're back to a warmer color. It's autumn. It's like it's it's almost like the seasons changing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like we don't come back from that sequence to um, some harsh um, grays or 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 really dark blues or purples. It's like it's warm, mm. right? Because it's all about this. You're, you know, you're explained again. It's something that everyone can connect to the idea of like, Hey, whatever, whatever down moments, whatever dark moments you've had with the people that you, that you love, you still, that doesn't mean you walk away from them. Right. It's mm. like you, 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 you deal with it together mm. and you find a way, even if, if, if one thing, if one door is closed, that doesn't mean that the story ends, right? Right. And I think it's something that's that's so universal that everyone, again, it's why it's it's again why the, the, like, there's no dialogue needed because again, everyone can get that, mm. and it's the, it's the genius of of of, of doing it in, an, in of animation too, which is you can have these heightened moments, and it's you know like you're not you're not confined to realism because what's real is the emotion and that's what matters. Mm. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the idea of, of setting this, not setting the, the theme and also setting the emotional, the, you know, sort of the emotional stakes for both Carl and yourself. And then also we do get the glimpse of course, of Russell, like Russ, he, he's, he finds the book, right. You know, he's, he's mm. busting around like, he's going on an adventure himself and he's, you know, and he's, he's alone. He's in this, you know, he bumps into this house just like, cause he's curious. Right. And he's, he's basically, he's fumbling around, literally fumbling around the darkness. Right. So you set the stage of for our two co-protagonists and one person has fallen into the abyss. And the other person is just sort of fumbling, trying to find their way through. Mm. And it's done so beautifully with essentially no dialogue and i i, I agree with you it's 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 um, it's flawless yeah it it's it's stunning um and i really love a, lo- a lot of what you said there is right just on right on point it's, it's excellent and i think um just to add to some of it too i think that there is this you get the sense from the the moment you see carl on screen you get the sense that adventure for carl is mostly a thing he likes to do mentally, but actually taking the steps towards an adventure is something he finds uh, intimidating. He's, he's a timid kind of kid. Yeah. He's a timid kind of guy. Yeah. 
And, um, and so, but Ellie is not that. Ellie is an adventurous spirit. She's a person who pushes him to be a better person. And, you know, he promises to take Ellie on this adventure. They even have the, they even have the jar of coins that they're saving up so that they can go on this adventure together. Um, and there's these, just these subtle hints at the fact that we see how Carl's character is. And we realize, we realize as the viewers that Carl is fulfilled in being with Ellie, not in any sort of grand scheme that he could have achieved or not achieved right like the the adventure almost doesn't matter because the embodiment of carl as a uh, the best carl is the carl that's with ellie right um and yet because carl told ellie that he would take her on an adventure I, i think if you were to ask me like how do you think ellie feels about that i would have said Ellie views their life together as the adventure and she's not as hung up on going anywhere the way that Carl's hung up on going on doing this because for Carl, it's overcoming a personal weakness. Whereas for Ellie, it's not, it was just something to do with Carl because they enjoyed these things together. And the reason I say that is because one of the elements that I think is just stunningly relatable because you talked about that word relatable is, is huge. Cause my, if we're going to talk about this next question I have for you is going to get in all these relatable moments. But part of it is that for me, I think is that we not only feel Carl's grief, but we also feel his remorse, remorse yeah. over the fact that he was not able to do something. And he put his personal weakness on not being able to fulfill something for Ellie as meaning that his life was never actually fulfilled we know that it was because we know that his life was really didn't matter if he if he goes on this adventure or not the adventure was being with ellie but for him he's going like i because he because he associates it with his relationship with her and feels like he let her down um even though there's a part of it that where he's just letting himself down and i think that's where you talk about when russell comes in and the embodiment of all of this is to, and I, by the way, I think that soul hints on this as well. Uh, the other Pixar film soul is like, you know, what we do in life, even if we don't achieve the great things that we wish we could is not necessarily what life is all about. Life is all about the relationships that we have and how we, how we bump up against other people and how, and the collective experience of all of us together trying to do this thing called life um and not fall into despair and keep pushing forward when we can but um it's not about the achievement so much as it's about the people um and i say that as a person who's very achievement oriented (laughs) by the way um (laughs) but i think so this this is one of the reasons why i think that this scene that these opening sequences so meaningful to me and to a lot of people is because we can instantly see ourselves in this because how many times have you thought about like well oh man i didn't do that or i didn't do this or i didn't achieve this or i let this other person down and we get so caught up in our weaknesses that we forget to sort of celebrate with other people um this this long journey that we have together hopefully it's a long journey some of us have shorter journeys than others so, um, but it sets up such, the setup is so good because the stakes, you talked about um, tying it back into uh, Old Man Logan and, or, or, or uh, Miller's, some sort of Miller's theming in general was, it was all about like, well, you've gotten sucked into the, to the worst world you could imagine. And now all, the only thing you can hope for is to sort of 
not not achieve the worst whereas here they're basically saying like look life is going to have its ups and downs as is shown in the in the married life sequence but the real important thing is that you don't give up hope and the real important thing is that you that you learn what life is really all about anyways so i just i i, I think that you captured a lot of that in, in your answer and uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question but i think um it's really uh the next question gets into this next point which I don't know how many people watch this scene and don't find any emotion in it. I'm not really an emotional moviegoer for the most part. Okay. However, I in rewatching this one for this podcast, just just the opening sequence, I'm sitting on the couch weeping myself because it's just so I, I've labeled this as one of the most emotional opening sequences in cinematic history. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you agree with that assessment? And then and, and you talked about this a little bit already, but let's go deeper. What about mm -hmm. this is causing it to be so emotional for us? Yeah, well, I agree one thousand percent, and I think, well, you know, I think on a lot of for on, for a lot of reasons, it's very apt mm. that you're having an episode about this movie now, mm. where we are now. Um, a year and a half into a global pandemic that mm. has no end. It, you know, it's, you know, um, rages on, um, as we're recording this in early August and, you know, you know, um, hopefully if you're listening to this in the future, the Delta variant is long in the rearview mirror, but yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, life exactly. is what it is right now around the world, you know, um, and you have, you know, so, you know, we've been, all of us, you know, have been one to one degree or another forced to be alone with our thoughts. Mm. would just be alone right mm. and even if you have if you're someone who's been fortunate enough to you know stay employed throughout all of this and you haven't had your you, know, you maybe switched to work from home or remote work and so you've been able to stay you know keep everything rolling it's just instead of getting in your car and driving to the office you just you know uh plug in the you know your 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 laptop or your whatever you work from home you, you know you get your ring light on and whatever your home <laughs> setup is and you just like Rolling, rolling, rolling. But either way, right, we've been forced to really take stock of what our lives, of, of our lives, right? And, and, and um, what we have versus what we, what we desire versus whatever, whatever in your mind's eye, like you're, you, you know, sort of that distance, that, that difference between, okay, this is what I have. And I am being kept from either because of the changes or just realizing, oh, I had all this and now it's changed in some way. And what does that mean? Mm. You know, and the sort of everyone's more, everyone's roots have been up, have been, um, you know, uprooted to some degree. Right. And you think about when, you know, we come out of this, you know, this sequence and Carl is essentially, you know, he's, he's sitting in his big old couch, you know, or, and, I think that distance, the difference between this montage of this, of, of these, of these, you know, really powerful emotional moments versus here he is in this, you know, sitting here alone. Right. And I think on one hand, you know, I think this connects both Carl and Russell is you realize how much their connection 
and how much strictly Carl's choice to to become this this shut in mm. is is driven by shame mm. and the idea of okay um, I didn't live up you know she uh, Ellie chose me and I felt worthy but because you know we didn't get to go to South America um, you know like I it, you know it's like the 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 matching shots of of them you know going up the up the mount up the up the little hill to the tree and then near the end before Ellie passes when she now um, Carl's finally been able to pass her but it's only because oh, yeah. she you know she, she falls down yeah and, and it's you know, that the end is near it's like finally when he was able to keep up like he you know like as you mentioned just now. He was, you know, the super reticent, like, you know, introverted guy, you know, sort of like colors in, in always colors in, in the lines. Right. <laughs> and by the time he's finally able to like, oh, I'm going to run up the street. Look at me. It's too late. She's gone. Yeah. yeah. You know, and having, I think, having to sit with that and having to like, now you are alone and you're in your house every day. Mm. And that's the last memory you have. Mm. Right. And I think the idea of like for everyone around the world, it, it's why it's, it's it's really not that shocking to see like how everyone is like, and so many people are just not in a great place right now. Yeah. Because you've had to sit with whatever, you know, whatever you had, if you had things were just going about to like, think of all the people just who in the last year who graduated school or had some big event, right? Some big life moment. And you're like, Argh. right. You know, nope. Pause. No, actually, no. We don't hit pause. It's it's like the game. It's like you. We hit pause on you. You've got to sit on the bench, but the clock keeps running. The game yeah. is still going. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> and so you have to sit with that difference, right? And realizing, and you know. So I think, because I think you think of the tears of this. Like a lot of it is like, it's able to that those universal fears of. Did I did I let the time slip through my fingers? Mm. You know, mm. did you know? And again, I think the especially in a world now we just talked about social media being of, of like single images. And again, this movie came out over a decade ago, long before Instagram was a thing. Right. But you, know, you think of like Instagram or all these social media pro- profiles where it's in it, you know, you see an image. And it's not so much about, hey, buy this toothpaste or buy this energy drink. Right. It's connecting you with this larger idea or theme about how your life is supposed to be or the mm. life that you want or the life that you don't want. And again, this is a movie that came out, you know, a decade ago. And in that same way of this being able to, uh, pun intended, influence people, the idea of like, here are these bam, 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 bam. Mm. here's a life mm. with the person that you, you, you find your person, but were you really their person? Mm. Like that fear, those fears we all have, right? Oh, this mm. is all, this person's amazing. They want to go out with me, me, what? Right. Really? You're not, but you're all me, <laughs> you know? Right. And I, you know, I think that's, you know, it's why, you know, it's, I know I'm a, it's and another reason I think this is so apt to watch. I think 
so much of the of the discussion about entertainment, and this is part of the reason why I left social media. As someone who's worked in entertainment and storytelling for you know the majority of my adult life now, is rather than like seeing these stories as um, judging them on on their emotional truths, mm. it becomes this weird like um, um, logic test or or everything is, you know, whether thing quote unquote makes sense or, or talking about plot holes and like, what right. are we, what, what are we doing here? Right. What are we, what are we guys, what are we talking about? Or like, Oh, this villain, you know, like I think I chucked out on the, on the Marvel movie discourse when like everyone's talking about what Thanos's plan makes no sense. I'm like, yeah, he's a, a, a genocidal supervillain who <laughs> is, you know, like a la Ra's al Ghul, the idea of like echo fascism, like it's not supposed to, be an orderly thing it's like also characters make mistakes and do things out of you know again out of some emotional or in the case of this movie right shame right yeah yeah he feels shame that he didn't live up to who he felt ellie thought he needed to be yeah and so as a result he's shut himself off from the world and as you see again sorry to jump ahead jump around a bit but when he when russell starts to open up about his lack of relationship with his with his family, you can tell he feels that shame. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just dorky kid, and I'm not like um, sporty adventure person, and you know, I'm not what my what my parents wanted me to be. Right. And so they connect through shame. And I think again, so to bring back to your point, I'm sorry for rambling here, but I think there's that because I think the cry, you know, the that emotional drain that we all feel through this is that we've all felt at some moment with someone that you really love and care about that you wanted more than anything to be who that person who that when you look in their eyes and look at you you want to be that person that they see Hmm. but for whatever reason you don't feel that right and i think the idea of like of not being able internally to be to be that person for that other person is something you know and just again the like of like feeling the sand slip through your fingers and like it's yeah you know like i think that's something that's like everyone has someone in life they can feel they feel that way or even if everything's been even necessarily if you didn't feel that specific way, the idea of like, if we just had more time. Yeah. Like, I mean, take the shame portion out of it. That may not apply to everybody, but right. the idea of like, if we only had more time. Right. You know, um, I had a tangent to go off on, but I'll stop because I don't want to. I don't want to hijack the show. <laughs> well, we, we still have more, a couple more, a couple more questions that we can definitely go into more about this because I think there's just so much here that there is left to uncover. So I, I'll just go through a couple of mine really quick because you covered a lot of them really, really well. And I think that your your statement on saying that we're all looking for that other that person that's our person, and then realizing that, you know, I kind of feel like. I'm going to come from a worldview that says that nobody's perfect and thereby 
you're never going to live up to whatever you think you should be for your person. Cause it's just, I mean, so I'm sorry, you're going to hurt them in some way, shape or form. That's what human beings do to each other unintentionally. But I think that that you nailed it. Like right. it's like this, this idea that like at the, at the end of the day, you're thinking to yourself, this is my person. They see me as their person. I see them as my person. And yet I still can't be the person I would like to be uh, in order in, in, on their behalf, right? Like, like for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's definitely inherent in, in Carl. So let me, let me just capitalize on a couple of other things. So I think that was magnificent. And I don't, I don't have, I didn't have anything specifically about that per se, but I think that the word you used earlier in our conversation, when you said that it's relatable is, is the best possible world word you could use in for Pixar in general, by the way, not just this film, but for this sequence for, for sure, because it starts out with um, kids using their imaginations. Right. And that's ubiquitous. Like when you're a kid, your imagination runs wild. And, and especially for those of us who are into storytelling, um, it's so easy to put yourself in the shoes of a Carl or an Ellie and be thinking about um, living into living into these stories that they're experiencing on the screen. Um, yeah. The next universal thing, and you talked about this a lot, um, is that life does has it has its ups and downs, right? And these, and, and by the way, Pixar doesn't. Pixar doesn't, you know, they go from doing this like big imagination thing where it's like, oh yeah, this adventure that could occur. And there's like dirigibles and there's like, you know, these, these, these people fighting over exotic places. Um, and then they, and then they really ground us because the ups and downs are like flat tires and like painting mailboxes and like these things that are like, you know, um, that are so common They're, we all experience these things you know and and, and the way that, that Carl and Ellie relate to each other as they experience the things is also uh, really magnificent because you know Carl does the idiot thing where his whole hand is has paint on it and he, he puts it on the white mailbox and then Ellie's like no big deal I'll just put my my handprint on there too and it's these exactly yeah she's just these constant little moments where um we can just relate to them based on on not only not only how our relationships actually go but also how we want them to go that these things don't drive us apart but they keep bringing us closer and closer together which then uh i think lands on this idea of regret and remorse and you talked about having more time or going back and like and this is why time travel is a genre is because we all wish that we could right. go back and change something <laughs> that happened in the past right um mm -hmm. but then you really nailed it i think with that that final statement of like where we end up at the end of this sequence and that is with loneliness and that's the other universal relatable thing that we will all enter the world essentially by ourselves and we will all exit the world essentially by ourselves. And in between, there are these giant bouts of loneliness and in, in pandemics, um, sickness. You know, my mom passed away from cancer in her last year and a half. She had to be isolated because 
you know, you couldn't be around her and get her sick, you know? So, so we were around her, but mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't get to be around her. And I have a buddy of mine right now. That's um, young guys in his early forties. He's, he's, he has, he has cancer and he can't be around a bunch of other people. So there are these moments where we're going to have these, these areas of loneliness and, and then what do we do with them? But the overarching point of all that is to use your word again, it's all relatable. It's so easy Pixar is not putting in front of us um, Captain America. Not not real easy for all of us to relate to Captain America. Let's just say that, right? Like we we don't all feel like we do the right thing and have this uh, great moral standard where we are able to just do whatever we think is right and it turns out to be the right thing to do and everything's fine. Um, much more so, we tend to feel a lot more like Carl, which is to say that we feel out of place. We feel like we're awkward at times. We uh, we cannot believe at times that other people could be our friends. And there's a whole process of trying to learn, which he learns over time with Ellie, that he doesn't have to be a different person to be her person. He is, by definition, her person the way he is. But even that, at the end of it all, he still has to have he still has to rub up against Russell before he can remember that that's true about himself. And I think that that is just a brilliant emotional place to put an audience in Um, because when an audience can relate like that, you can take, you take your own experiences into the story and there's not, um, you know, whereas, you know, it's really, it's really fascinating that we started talking about um, Mark Miller because you, you brought up in the beginning of this, you know, where the lead character turns around and like challenges the audience member. Um, And this is almost like saying, no, I'm not going to challenge you because based on where you might be, I'm going to invite you into where we all are if we were, if we were willing to admit it. And that is an amazing place from a storytelling standpoint to find yourself uh, from an audience perspective. So any, any other thoughts really quick on that before I jump into our sponsor and then we get into these last couple questions? Uh, I would just say, you know, that I agree. It puts you, you're, you're a part of the journey now with what that scene does so well. Yep. Yep. And once it's over, it's like, you're on board. Yep. And whether you were, and I, you know, and I think again, like the idea of all ages storytelling, it doesn't mean that it's somehow, dumbed down or just you know um uh you know just uh whatever this sort of um lowest common denominator direct it's about stories that simultaneously can work for audiences everybody mm. no matter what age no matter you know no matter where you are in your journey in life so if you're a kid and you're more you know you're still in that searching stage like russell you know then the scene works just as well yeah versus if you're you know further along on the trail and you're you're more of a carl and you have like you know you if you're you know i think like you said the you just said you know the idea you start life alone you end life alone right so if you're uh you know a youngster watching this and you're still searching, and maybe you haven't found um, any um, yeah, adventure buddies yet. Right. You, you know, so you're you're <laughs> right, you're, right. you're the one searching, versus someone you know you know 
you know, it was long further along, wherever point you are in that montage, whether you're, you know, but you can, there's something there that's going to jar you the idea of like, am I on the right path? Have I, you know, have I, have I sort of turned away? Am I, if I now, if I metaphorically, am I sitting in the attic by myself, you know? Right. And it's, it gives, it gives a, you know, a tether for everyone, no matter where you sit on, on, you know, on, on the spectrum. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's very, very awesome. Well, before we get to these last two questions, I want to thank today's sponsor and give you some ways to support the show. Uh, the sponsor of today's podcast is the new book, Door of a Door, Lost Legends and Sagas of Pre-Flood Earth. Door of a Door, Lost Legends, of sagas, Lost Legends and Sagas of Pre-Flood Earth is the work of Lazarus Master Fox and Novus Renaissance. Novus Renaissance is the new platform for fan freedom, creating and defending great stories, great characters, and superb secondary worlds where fans everywhere experience adventure, excitement, and wonder. Door of a Door Volume 1, Creation Angels War, is the explosive supernatural fantasy and science fiction series of our time that immerses your imagination in a saga Forged before time was a thought and reality dawned. Volume one unleashes the account of eternity's most ancient bloody combat, the legend of Lucifer, heaven's great war, and the beginning of your adventure into in the forgotten world of pre-flood earth awaits you. Door of a Door Volume One, Creation Angels War is now available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon via the link below uh, at, at novusrenaissance.com slash door dash vador the world of fans is following us are you do you dare to adventure and journey with us and witness monsters giants humans heroes villains and gods battle for supremacy so i'm going to spell this out now so you guys can get the the link but it's also in the description down below n-o-v-u-s-r-e-n-a-i-s-s-a-n-c-e dot com slash d-o-r dash v-a-h-d-o-r novusrenaissance.com slash door of a door click the link in the show notes to check it out and i actually reviewed volume one of door of a door on this very channel on our youtube channel i should say so go back and check that out if you're interested and by the way if you're into uh high fantasy and enjoy delving into creation myths and legends i think you will dig door of a door Plus, purchasing Door of a Door helps us produce this show because they're a sponsor. So um, if you want to help support the show, go go buy that book. Go check it out. And also, I should note that the book that I co-wrote with Nathan Sheck, Death of a Bounty Hunter, is available as a Goodreads.com giveaway. We're giving away 100 Kindle copies of Death of a Bounty Hunter throughout the month of August. If you've been thinking about buying it but haven't pulled the trigger, click the link in the description to sign up for that giveaway. So links to all that stuff can be found, like I said, in the show notes. And we really do appreciate your support. Chris, let's get back into this. Uh, before we dig a bit deeper into how the storytellers execute this scene, which we've talked about a little bit, but we'll go into it a little bit deeper. I do want to ask you this. You could make the argument that this opening sequence or even the married life sequence itself far outshines the rest of this film. Do you think that's true? And secondly, does it matter? I will no to the first question, yes to the second. And I think they are, they, they are connected hmm. because I say no, because I, I think what this, the, the, the sort of propulsion engine that this 
that that opening sequence is yeah is called back to in pretty much every major moment of the movie uh, yeah and particular you know and again i you know talking about like the ways of of using all the all the tools in the toolbox to make a story it's not just about plot you know and i think um people get way too focused on plot and and forgetting that you're there for character mm. Mm. and you know just thinking of you know as you, you know, as we were just talking about um before the break there of you know what makes you know of like that that feeling of loneliness and and uh, you know connecting and and just feeling adrift and lost and just thinking of the you know the Ellie's theme in particular and how that theme gets used in that opening sequence right and when that theme is used throughout the rest of the movie and importantly also when it's not mm. and i think and this is why i think both um no to the question of whether it works better than the rest of the movie because that opening sequence is and the questions that an opening sequence poses are what the rest of the movie is about mm. and the rest mm. of the movie is 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 what choices are you know carl's choices at all times are directly informed by the opening sequence and when i mentioned when it's not used if you've if you haven't seen the movie recently you um, get to the sequence when Carl makes a ch- has a choice of whom to save, or right. I should say what to save, because one of the choices is in an amnot is in an amnot house, right? Right. He could either save um, their animal buddy that they've come across, or save the house. Mm. He chooses the house, and what happens afterwards? Silence. Mm. You don't get the theme. The, the theme doesn't play. Mm. Why? Because he has one, the movie is sort of letting you know that he made the wrong choice if you haven't got it. But the idea of like this, that theme pops up every, you know, as Carl grows and as he, you know, comes back to what drew Ellie to him in the first place, and you know, and all those wonderful moments of, of the two of them building a life together, the theme plays. When he chooses isolation, basically, like I talked, what we talked about earlier about like these mentor stories, right? That usually the the protege has two paths. They can either choose the path of of hope and integrity, or the chat of the path of despair. In that moment, um, like his like sadly, he learns about his hero, right? He chooses despair and clinging to the past and trying not to change things and having control, right? Which, speaking of a, a recurring theme in Pixar films, think of like the um, the toy collector, and I forget which one of the Toy Story sequels it was. You know, like that sort of character, that sort of um, and it's, I guess it fits for geekdom, right? Those sort of the gatekeeping, um, angry uh, fan who wants to just <laughs> right. like wants to keep things encased in amber, right? Right. Uh, he makes that choice, and then we get it's the only scene in the movie where we get that sort of ominous darkness that we don't get during the opening sequence. Mm. Even at the lowest points when the house is destroyed, when the house or damaged, 
after we they find out they go to the to the doctor and if I, and you know, uh, and again we talked about earlier the scenes never they always come back with warmth. Mm. Even the scene on the hill when she falls down and we know that this means that the end is near for her, it's not um, ominous. It, it's still like there's still like a a a a warmth to the colors there and to the lighting. It's not this harsh, you know, um, horror movie or, 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 or lighting. Whereas after he makes the choice to save the house and he's singing and he's out there with that house, it's just, it's, it's hard to see. Even watching it, I was watching it here on my, on, you know, and the house, I was like, dude, dude I need to turn, the, I need to turn like the, the brightness up on my monitor or something. It's like, <laughs> you know, again, the idea of like what that sequence does at the beginning is it again? It sets the emotional. It sets the emotional stakes for the entire story, and all, it sets the stage for everything. And the question is, which way? Which ways are to protect protagonists going to go? Mm. And in that key moment when he fails, we get the opposite of that sequence, which is how you know he made the wrong choice. Mm. So I would say that again, that sequence. It's you know it's it gives you everything you need to know to see this movie and everything that's important in the movie. And the rest of the movie now is going to see, we're going to see, okay, we know where this person is now. Is Carl, what's Carl going to do? Is he going to live up to being the the person that he can be or the person that he was, or is he, is this going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, snake eating its own tail. And he's just going to, you know, um, you know, become this, this just, you know, just completely um, give in to despair. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, you know, I I <clears throat> I agree with everything you said, and it's funny because I still came up with a different answer for this question. Excellent, <laughs> um, excellent. There, lay it on me. <laughs> yes, because because I feel like I feel like this sequence, from a storytelling standpoint, I think you used this word earlier. Um, and I'm going to repeat it because I think it's it's true and it's, I think I believe it's accurate. I'm not sure if I know of a more perfect opening series of sequences. Like we're doing a whole series on great movie openings. Um, uh-huh. This one is a, just about perfect. I mean, if if you don't come away from from giving this opening series of 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 scenes like a, an A plus, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what gets an A plus in your book. Um, and I do think it's hard to for the rest of the film to live up to that perfection. Now, it's not to say that the rest of the film is bad. I don't mean that at all. And I think you've just pr- proven very well why, from a story standpoint, it's going to keep calling back to those things from earlier. And I totally agree that you're right in that that it does that. Um, but but it's not the rest of the film is not something I take away as a memory. Whereas the married life scene is like ingrained in my head for the rest of my life about how that sequence kind of plays itself out and why it's so uh, emotionally powerful to me. So, but the the second way I answer this question is that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me at all because <laughs> right. because the the scene is so powerful on its own that even if even if after if the movie stopped. And they were like, you don't get to watch anything else. N- not not when we see Carl. Because when we see Carl again and he gets out of bed and he's definitely not doing well, um, then you need to see the rest of that sequence because we want to see Carl's full journey. Um, right. 
but if you were to stop the film and say it's a short film, it's about it's a short film about how our lives play out, and um, and the sadness and the joy and the uh, the relationships um, that we that we share together, and that's the film. It's over. I'd be like, it's still amazing. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter that the rest of the film lives up to it or doesn't live up to it, because that alone is such perfection that as a piece of art. It could stand alone and I would still call it perfection. Now, you've gone on to describe all of the ways that it plays into the rest of Carl's journey. And I go, yeah, you're totally right. So I think you can come away from this saying either one works. And I don't, I almost, I almost, I almost regret asking the question to begin with because I don't want people to come away thinking like, to your point earlier about how people would just argue about plot holes and whether these things work or don't work. We are breaking these things down from a storytelling standpoint. I am asking the question of mm -hmm. for something perfect, can, can another things hold up to it? And I'm not sure that's even a fair question to ask. No, uh, I, I think it is. I think it totally is, you know, and I, I will, you know, it's funny hearing you um, give your answer just now. It made me think of, it made me think of, of James Bond movies ah. for a second. Cause you think about like, especially the really good ones, like yeah. it's become kind of rote now. You're like, oh, okay, you're going to have an open, you're going to have some big action sequence to open, you know, the movie. Right. <laughs> um, but like when it worked, like in like some of the, you know, like the Connery ones and some of the early Roger Moore ones, like, well, or even like, like Casino Royale, like, like and, and the really good James Bond movies yeah. are able to do like this set piece that then grows into the song. Right. And it's like, it's basically everything you like about these movies with like, um just raw and cuts like there's no watering down here this is just like you're getting the 200 proof just like shot right here this is <laughs> right. like we're gonna pump we're gonna do an you know eight minute sequence of like the craziest of like the wildest stunts big action and it's gonna end with like bond you know jumping out of a plane doing some ridiculous stunt and he's got his union jack flag and he like gracefully falls down and then like there's uh, two women with like martinis and it's like he's away like, it's just everything all at once and then boom the song hits right and it's like right. you know whatever nobody does it better or whatever right. it's like we're gonna give you everything you like about this in an 11 minute block just right. like bam 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 and then we're gonna extend ideally if it's a good movie we're gonna give you two hours more of like other good stuff but we're going to give you everything that you really what are like the three things you like most about these movies okay you can get that in this like 10 minute block yes and then go now you're still in the theater and you got two hours to go <laughs> so i can totally understand if if like it's just so intense and so efficiently you know put together and again like it's so short that you're like oh we still got an hour and whatever to go yeah. <laughs> right. i can understand like that having such an impact on someone where they're just like, oh wow, oh 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 okay, I'm 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 going to be here for another ninety minutes, okay, you know where it just there's no one moment that's going to have, there's no eight minute block that's going to have that punch, right? You know, right. But as part of a whole, right, the way it all comes together becomes immensely more satisfying. Yeah, in fact, uh, in fact, to your point. Um, it reminds me of I've gotten several people that have said like, Hey, how come you didn't include Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of your great movie openings? And I've said to every single one of them, like, don't, don't get me wrong. That's one of my favorite movie openings in mm -hmm. the history of film, but it's been covered ad nauseum, right? Like everybody's talked about it like right. for, forever. Right. 
but but to your point like there's another opening where so so both both Raiders of the Lost Ark and Up do something that is pretty magnificent um and 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 the James Bond films that you just described do the same thing and that is that they introduce a problem that the hero is eventually going to have to overcome and yet they exist on their own as their own mini story that has so much in it that it is of interest by itself because obviously you know basically the opening of raiders of the lost ark is i have an artifact to go and get and achieve and if the film if it if it ended with him jumping out of the passageway and the balls the the large boulder slamming up against the ent- entry point and we never saw belloc show up and take it from him then you'd be like wow that was a thrilling opening <laughs> how cool is that to your point about james bond same thing um and yet the fact that belloc takes it from him is what's going to set off all of the other events of the film um and, and not specifically that the fertility idol per se, because Belloc is actually after much bigger things, but it sets up the rivalry, which then is going to unravel itself and saying, you know, who have you aligned yourself with and what does that look like for this bigger picture? So, so yeah, I think, I think these things can, they, any one scene can exist as a piece of art in and of itself and, or a sequence of scenes and be amazing. But also what you've said, which I think is very true is that it also from the mastery of what Pixar is up to, it also sets in motion things that make the rest of the story more powerful. Um, and by the way, one thing we yeah. have not talked about, which maybe we'll get to in this last, in this last question. Um, in fact, we probably will. So I'll, I'll save, I'll save what I'm about to say for this last question. And you might say it in advance of me. Anyways, we've talked about it a little bit, but we've kind of just been hinting at it. So my last question for you, Chris, um, what are the key elements of this sequence from a storytelling perspective? So you, you edit comics. Um, I write mostly books, audio dramas. Uh, what makes this, this sequence of scenes work and what elements can other storytellers take away to include in their own storytellers that we can find here in this sequence of scenes? I think um, going back to uh, I think the first points we made when talking about this is I think you've got to have you know understanding one I think less is more right mm. I think it would have been very easy to you know again as we discussed like the, you know the first major note that the animation team gave the the writers was no dialogue in this you know I think we're, we're so focused now on like quote unquote world building, right. And going bigger and bigger and ex- over explaining. It's like pull back. Yeah. Less is yeah. more trust, trust your audience, trust the audience. Yeah. And, you know, having an under having one thing that's very clear about this film is that the, the creative team, they have a very clear understanding of where they want to go and who their characters are. I think asking yourself when you're working on a story, 
do you really know like who your characters are and what do they want? And not necessarily mm. like, oh, they want the thing. Yeah. Like, well, there's lots of things, right? <laughs> right. Like you're talking about, you just talked about Raiders. Like, oh, there's lots of artifacts around the world. Right. Why do they want this one? You know? And I think understanding, also understanding again that we're sticking around Again, this is the core question of all stories, right? Like, you have to make the audience care. Mm. And if you if it's if you if you're telling, oh, we're we're going around the world to find the freaking whatever the prophecy or whatever, like, okay, okay, like have fun, pack <laughs> 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 <That's> sunscreen. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> it's like you. Within again, within that eight minute sequence, you've explained, you've given me a reason to care and and be emotionally invested in three different characters, one of whom is dead. Mm. You know, it's like how many times have we you've sat through stories wherever you know maybe you know TV, film, prose, wherever you read a five hundred page book, you don't care about a single character. Or watch a or watch a, a full season of a TV show. You don't give a damn about anybody. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know? And I think also the question is that doesn't mean you have to like them. You just have mm. to care. Mm. Like again, your Carl is allowed to be messy in this in that opening sequence. And Russell at first, yeah, you're like, okay, who's this dorky kid? But you're like, all right, you know, he seems earnest, but you know, they're not going overboard trying to be like, oh, hey, like this person. Oh, hey, see, they're a good person, mm. you know, or they're cool. It's just about we have an emotional con- We can relate to their emotional journeys and the things that they're seeking for, the validation that they're seeking, that they're seeking. And we're on board. And it's something we I used to all have always told people with like first issues when you're writing a comic series. Right. And people will pitch you all the time about, oh, I've got this 60 issue thing, 50 issue thing. I'm like, tell me about the first issue. Right. If I don't, if I read this for, if I get to the end of that first issue and I don't understand the DNA of your series, then I'm done. You know, it's when I get to page 20 or page 22, whatever it is, that first issue, Mm. I need a reason, an emotional connection to the characters and an understanding of what the hell am I doing here? Exactly. If you don't have that, then you're just you're just you're just filling up paper. Yeah. 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 You don't give you don't give readers uh, any chance to to grasp onto something to continue to, you know, episode episode two installment two. Um, Yeah, that's really really good. I had I had a lot of the same notes. I think, um, you know, being able to open on open with imagination from these from the perspective of these kids yeah. is you know dr- immediately drawing people into imagination whether that's done through the world building or whether it's done through people appreciating world building i mean that's really what's happening here right like they are imagining right. their own they're doing their own world building and we're appreciating the fact that they're doing that world building um cuz cuz we put ourselves in that place having done that as kids ourselves um mm-hmm. In the married life sequence, I think they're basically 
uh, Carl Iglesias uh, has a statement that he uses. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of his book offhand. Um, writing for emotional impact. I think that's what it is. But he says, "Okay, every story should be uniquely familiar and promise conflict." And I think that that's what the married life sequence ultimately does. It is uniquely familiar being this like dichotomy almost, right? Like, well, if it's unique, how can it be familiar? But in this case, it is unique and familiar to us. There's, and and you said this, you said this really well, is that they have a goal too, right? Like they, they have, as a married couple, they have a goal and that goal keeps getting interrupted. Now we have conflict. So conflict is, we know that they want to achieve this goal, but these things, ordinary life things, things that are uniquely familiar, are getting in the way of this larger goal. This is now conflict. Um, the relationship is familiar to us, as we've talked about ad nauseum so far. It's joyous. It's tragic. Uh, the conflict is minor, but it's relatable. It's also then more than minor because it's tragic and it's dealing with death and it's dealing with things that every human is going to have to deal with at some time in one way or another. So now it's ubiquitous. Um, and it's been largely ubiquitous for this for the whole sequence. Um, and then I think the real thing that solidifies it all is, and they don't, this is what's so fascinating is they don't really tell you, they don't really ever hit you over the head with this fact. And like, I think a lot of maybe more um, less seasoned storytellers would hit you over the head with this, but Pixar doesn't, and the fact that they don't, and I think it's probably Pete Doctor because he's 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 so good at storytelling. But when you realize, when you as the viewer realize that what Carl had in Ellie was better than any adventure that he could ever go on with or without her, that's magical. Whatever word you want to use for yeah. magical, however you want to define magic, like when you realize that, that is the magic of what makes everything in this story pull together and work. And I think that that's really where the brilliance comes in. And in the fact that they'd never hit you over the head with it. And you brought up all these subtle points that, you know, in, in, in preparing for this, for this podcast, I didn't rewatch the entire movie and you're bringing up all these subtle points later on that are like, Oh yeah. Wow. That's, that's such a great callback to the fact that they don't play the music when he makes the wrong decision and that's that's the other thing i wanted to bring up too when i started asking this question is the music is there there's a quality to music i think that if you listen to i don't think a lot of people listen to scott joplin these days i think scott joplin is an amazing musician um mm-hmm. but whether it's the maple leaf rag or whether it's the entertainer um those the, his music has the same quality that this music has ellie's theme that you talked about earlier and that is simultaneously it is joyful and yet tragic it is it is this weird it is this weird culmination of of saying that something is both joyous but it is there's a part of it that's bittersweet and it's in it for i don't know what it is but you can anybody anybody who's listening go listen to some scott joplin after this podcast because you will find this this sense that it's like it's there's joy in it but the joy is not it's not giving us a an escapist joy 
there's something lurking under the surface surface that says we're experiencing joy despite the bitter sweetness of life. Um, and I don't know how in the world to capture that. I'm not a musician in any way, shape or form, but that just really pulls itself out in their theme. And it's so mm -hmm. accurate to how the movie makes you feel. And it just all yeah. works together in this beautiful piece of art that I have no, I almost don't have words to describe for how well it works. Right. So yeah, just amazing. So any, any other thoughts about this uh, opening sequence of up or anything else to do with up? Yeah. You know, I just, along your point about the music and I yeah. think there's um, I was, um, I was looking up, I, 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 I listened to a, um, an interview with a, with a, a composer who, who um, basically breaks down movie music for, you know, and movie and TV music for storytelling purposes. And they, 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 um, and they, they sort of broke down like when each musical, uh, basically when each instrument is used during the sequence, during that uh -huh. sequence, I, I found it really interesting. And they noted that, you know, after the wedding, when they first move into the house, right? And they, they, they start remodeling the house and everything. Um, you have a trumpet, but it's muted, which mm. means, you know, they put, there's a, uh, you know, a, uh, an attachment you put in, uh, uh, in front of the bell. Mm. So the sound doesn't come out as loud. So I think to your point about there's a, there's a, there's a sort of somber, it's, you know, cause you think of trumpet, you think, dun, 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 you know, it's, sort of right. like, it's a right. marching band and yeah, you know, we're that, that, you know, we're all, you know, or it's the, the football game, you know, and the team, busting through the you know the the tarp or yeah you know <laughs> right. um there's something that there's there's something that that muted is the right is i guess the the app word there there's something that adds a sort of a somber a very contemplative feel to it mm. and then once they're out and about um when, when they're first seeing the, the first time they see the clouds then the strings come in mm. you know which again is uplifting it's sort of rising you know and then you know, once we get to the scene in, at the doctor's office, we get um, a clarinet, a woodwind instrument. So again, something that's a little more, um, isn't quite as big or triumphant as, as horns would be. Hmm. And then once they start, they get back home after the hospital visit, you know, we get strings again, we get, um, um, and also we get the piano comes in, hmm. which inevitably, especially feels like, piano isolated there's something kind of like um somber and kind of tragic about like you think of like movies yeah. even like like i think like even like something like amadeus or something where you see like these like the composer by themselves right. playing the piano <laughs> right right or even you think of like or like in a, a noir right it's like the, the guy goes into the you know the, the gumshoe goes into the bar you've got the crooner at the piano <laughs> right. right playing by him and maybe and the lady in the red dress singing it's always like there's something kind of downbeat to it. It's never yeah. like, it's not a pop star. Like, Hey, we're dancing. We're singing. It's more like, <laughs> right. there's something lived in. It has a lived in quality. Right. You know? And then after that, it's like, um, you know, you, you there, they start, you know, um, saving to go to South, South America, the tree falls through the roof. And that's also, that's all the, the muted trumpet from the beginning comes back. Mm. Then the, um, after that, as they're rebuilding the house, and we see them out there, there's clearly a time jump. They're older now. They've both got gray hair. And when they dance in the living room, it's also strings. It's the violin. Mm. Then 
the um, Carl buys the tickets and um, the, the scene where she falls down as they're climbing up the tree again, it's back to the clarinet. And then the scene ends when, you know, with, in the hospital, her giving him the book, the picture, the scrapbook, it's piano alone, isolated. Mm. So it's, it's, again, this idea of like, we're, of, we're going up, we're going through these waves, but there's something, the music is always beautiful, but there's a, there's a sense of, there's a palpable sense of melancholy. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end, when she passes, we get, it's, all the other instruments are gone and it's just the piano. Yeah. And awesome. I, I, it made me think about that. It's like, yeah, like I can't think of a movie where a character is playing, like forget about just like in a soundtrack, but just any movie you think of where a character is playing the piano with no other accompaniment. It's always something downbeat. Yeah. True. Very true. Very true. You know? So that was just that, that, that just, I, 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 I saw that and it just really resonated with me. That's, you know, Again, the idea of like having a complete mastery of storytelling and using all the tools available to you to make this an emotional connection with, with an audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing. And if you haven't if you haven't watched the opening sequence of Up in a while, like do yourself a favor and watch now now granted you probably will like Chris and I, you probably will get very emotional. So just be prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely worth your time. It's, it's, I love all of the opening sequences that we chose for this series. Um, however, this one still might bring out the most emotion in me from a standpoint of saying like, wow, I don't know if I could choose a better one. If you ask me to, to select the best of the best, it might just be this one. Um, well, uh, we're going to close out today's show. Chris, why don't you um, why don't you give us a book that you've worked on that has a fantastic opening? How about that? What's one book that you'd be like, hey, go go check out this book that you, that you worked on that had a fantastic opening sequence? Ooh, that is a good question. I will say. of um, Sparrowhawk, which was written by Delilah S. Dawson and, and illustrated by uh, Matthias Basla, has an opening sequence that um, I feel like says we're talking about with, um, with, with Up, the idea of like, that sets, that, 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 that poses a question mm. that the rest of the story is about how, this, how the protagonist will answer that question. Mm, very cool now 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 i'm gonna go i'm gonna go pick it up because that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> well well chris thank you so much for joining me today um it was a pleasure to get to know you a little bit and and to talk to you about this this fantastic opening sequence and i really appreciated all of your insights um and what's happening Oh, of course of course yeah of course anytime we'll have to have you back i'll have, to have you back with caleb and maybe we'll just argue about mark miller stories <laughs> maybe that'll be we'll the next the episode parental advisory on that one yeah yeah exactly exactly parental advisory for sure well that is it for today's show don't forget to subscribe to the story geeks podcast on your preferred podcast provider or over on the art of storytelling uh the story geeks youtube channel where we record a lot of these shows live like i said we had some problems with my internet connection was not working 
so we were not able to record this one live but you can check this out on our podcast channel on uh monday august 9th this show will be uh, about pixar's up will be available on our podcast channel on august 16th will be maybe live again on youtube but hopefully it'll be on youtube in general um, and we'll be discussing the opening scene of inglorious bastards which is another great opening scene we hope you join us for that one and if you want to know about all of our upcoming episodes uh, check out the story geeks facebook group where we post about all of our upcoming shows and finally as always special thanks to our monthly patreon supporters here are the awesome supporters who support our nonprofit through patreon and before i read their names i should note that because of the because of the monthly patreon support i was able to record this show with chris because i had to purchase an entirely new recording program to do it but we made it happen and it's special thanks to all of our supporters who could make that kind of stuff happen so we appreciate you all they are zach linton the no midnight podcast sean r reed Anthony Holder, Ray DeLeon, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Young Money Savvy, Adam Vargas, Mary Baldwin, Wade Johnson, Jim Baldwin, Kimberly Lugeau, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, and Connie Moe. Please consider supporting us, even if it's only a couple dollars a month. Learn more at thestorygeeks.com. Until next time, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. <laughs> <laughs>